I'd like to welcome everybody to the Blackman Baptist Church again. And if you would, please join me in prayer. God, we humble ourselves before you. We acknowledge that we are broken and filthy people. We are renegades and runaways and fugitives. We are rebels against a righteous God. And you love us. You grant us grace when we deserve punishment. You make up for our shortcomings and failures by redeeming them for the glory of your God. And the glory of you, Lord. And God, I ask that you do that here today with my words. That you make up for where I fail. Where I stumble, Lord. You don't allow that to be distractions for those who hear. And Lord, it is with confidence not in myself, but in you and your spirit that dwells among us, that I pray this prayer. Amen. Amen. So we are talking about the shortest, one of the shortest books of the Bible, probably the shortest book of the Bible, Philemon. And Philemon is a, a letter written from Paul. And before we go any further, I want to talk about who Paul is. Paul is an apostle, which means he walked with Christ. Now, he's also a, an apostle who became an apostle after Christ's death. That's an amazing thing. Paul is a special man. But it's important to point out what an apostle is. I'm going to take a, an immediate kind of side trip here. Because there's a, a movement in some churches, particularly in churches in Africa and some in Asia, but also here in America, that is called the New Apostolic Reformation. And it's a group of people who believe who claim to be new apostles, that they speak with the authority of God, that they have the same authority that, that Paul had in his day. Uh, now, I want to be very, very clear. All authority comes from God. All of it. And the apostles had great authority. We look at their the letters they write as the Word of God. There are other authorities. Elders are given authority and responsibility. But there are no new apostles. 
And this movement that claims to have new apostles being created today with the same authority as the original apostles, it is not biblical. There was... So what we have today is we have God's Word in our hands. We have His Spirit in our hearts. And we have His Son's death on a cross. We need nothing else. Now, let, let's talk about Philemon. We can piece together some pieces of the story. There are some gaps that we don't have, but we can make some assumptions. So Philemon, was a, before we get into it, he, he was a pretty well-off man. He was a, a Roman and a, a patriarch of his family. And because of that, he had slaves. So we hear the word slave today, and we immediately think about the uh, chattel slavery of our history, our, our country's history, or, or possibly even um, the chattel slavery of Haiti or the Central Americas. Americas. And, and it's just absolutely horrific. And that is not necessarily, that, that is actually very different than the slavery that we're talking about now. So we kind of have to, to separate ourselves from that imagery and, and those emotions, and that's really hard to do. But we kind of have to for this story because it's a different world they're living in. So, um, one of these slaves, Onesimus, he, had, he wronged his master in some way. We don't know exactly what. We don't know if there was a dispute. We don't know if he stole something. We, we don't know anything, but we do know he ran away and that, and that he wronged his master. And during this process, he found his way to Paul, who was in prison. And through his interaction with Paul, he became a believer. The grace of God was poured out on him, and his sins were forgiven. And that's where we're picking up the story. In this letter from Paul, written while he's in prison, to his friend. And Paul had met him, uh, one of Paul's uh, protégés had started a church there, and Philemon hosted a family gathering in his house. He hosted a group. So often in those days they would go to one big service or one big temple or something like that, and then they would break into smaller uh, kind of, you know, maybe like community groups that we would have, but maybe a little um, more formal than that. You know, a little more cohesive. It's the church that met in his home. So I'm going to begin reading here in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved follower, a fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your, in your house. A um, couple interesting things here. We think that 
Apphia is Philemon's wife. It makes sense. Um, one thing I want you to think about is that Paul is giving each person an, an identity. And, he, and those identities that he's giving are their identity in Christ. Prisoner. Brother. Worker. Soldier. The, the way he identified them was exclusively by their identity in Christ. Again, a couple of things we can realize. Our identities in Christ following the Lord is going to be hard. Just look at these words. Prisoner. Nothing glamorous about that word. Worker. God's work is hard. It's work. Soldier. Don't ever forget that we are in a battle. And our enemy is not flesh and blood. And brother, we're not in this alone. We have family. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot in that little line. But the thing that I want to point out is that in times of conflict, and that's what this letter is about, this letter is directly addressing conflict. In times of conflict, grace precedes peace. And those things come from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I, read, I, I hear of you, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So some things to take away from this. Paul was a man of prayer. I'm convicted by this. I do not pray enough. But Paul prayed. And he remembered those that he had ministered to. We must be a praying people. The word sharing that's in uh, verse 6. It says, I pray 
that the sharing of, of your faith, the word sharing there is a Greek term, um, koinonia. And koinonia is a term that's used, um, it's translated a couple different ways, and it, it means partnership. Later on, we're going to see it used, and the translation is going to be the word partnership later on in, in this passage. And it's a, uh, almost a business term, this connecting of people. Now, in, the, in Jesus' time, being partners with someone was a lot more powerful than being partners with someone today. People have partners, business partners, maybe it falls through, maybe you renege on the contract and you sue each other or settle. Or it's, it's, it's just a functional thing. Back then, when you became partners with someone, there was a mutual obligation that went uh, indefinitely. People took care of their families. They cared for their households. So for Paul to be using this word, he is establishing that there is a connection here. There is obligation and responsibility. So... Um, so I've talked about being in prayer and, and viewing our connection with each other as partnerships. So I, I ask you, can this be said about the way you live your life? Are you in prayer? Do you remember other people when you pray? Do you derive joy and comfort from other people's love? Because the hearts and the saints are refreshed through the people around you. That's the body that we should be. Renewing each other and refreshing each other with our love. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal that you, I appeal to you for my child. Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. You see several things here. We see that Paul acknowledges he has authority over Onesimus. Now this authority comes in part because he led him to faith in Christ. But it also comes from his role as an apostle. Paul knew that if he said, you will do this, that Onesimus would do it. But he didn't say that. He didn't command. He is about to appeal. I think this is uh, an amazing lesson to be learned. And for anyone in authority, whether that be in a church setting as elders, in your home as husbands, over your children, 
parents, at work. There's a wonderful lesson here that even if you could command, many times you shouldn't. Maybe all the times you shouldn't. You should appeal. And that's what Paul is about to do. Verse 11. Form, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me and to you. Now this is a, a slight play on words. The name Onesimus means useful. It was actually a common name for servants. And Paul's making this play on words that this man named Useful, who was formerly useless to you because he ran away, is now indeed useful to me and to you. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending, him, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might, be, might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Again, we see this theme of not forcing him to do something but allowing him to do it. There's a, a, an amazing piece to this um, in that in Deuteronomy, Paul is about to violate the law. Now remember a little bit more about Paul. He was a Jew's Jew. He knew the law back and forth. He had grown up reciting it and memorizing it. He would have been well aware of Deuteronomy 23, verse 15, which states, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he has that he shall choose within one of your towns wherever it suits him you shall not wrong him so Paul knew that to send a runaway slave back to his master was a violation of the law. So how do we explain this? Let's read verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. 
as a beloved brother. Especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. You see, Paul wasn't sending a slave back to his master. He was sending a brother home. He was sending a brother back to reconcile a relationship with another brother. You see, Paul had an excellent excuse to keep this slave, this runaway, this renegade. He could have avoided the conflict. He could have kept him. He was serving the gospel. He was doing God's work. But Paul knew it was important that these two brothers be reconciled. For one thing, Onesimus was a fugitive. He could be caught and killed. I don't think I've mentioned that. The punishment for a runaway slave is horrific. It could be beating, it could be murder, or being killed. Often, it was crucifixion. A horrific way to die to show all the other slaves, this is what happens when you run. So, I I want to point out here, that along with not telling, not commanding, Philemon to accept this runaway back, Paul is convincing him, and he's convincing him with incredibly kind words. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 tells us, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is hard to do often. But we get some guidance from Jesus himself on how to do it. Matthew 7, 5 tells us Jesus is using a strong tone with those who are not doing this. Those who are not treating their brothers in kindness and love. And he says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We need to do this. I need to do this. We need to be willing to humble ourselves before God and say, what is the log in my eye? And 
we need to do that not because we've got to get the log out of our eye. We were told we were to do it so that we could help our brother with the speck in his. And by doing this, we all become stronger and more able to serve God here on earth. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 tells us, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. Because this is what happens when conflict goes unresolved. Bitterness. So we have to strive for peace with everyone. It's not easy. If it were easy, it wouldn't be something you have to strive for. But it's important. So back to verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, there's that word again, receive him as you, have, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So we see that word koinonia again. We see Paul drawing a very clear line between you and I are partners and this renegade and I are partners. So you and this renegade are partners. There's an obligation between you that is created by your relationship with me. We also see Paul saying, I will pay his debt. This is what grace looks like. Grace says, I will cover it. You see, the argument wasn't, Philemon, you shouldn't be mad. You've not been wronged. That wasn't the argument. It was clear. This is a renegade, a runaway slave. He had clearly been wronged. There's no dispute. The argument was simply, who will pay the debt? And Paul says, I will. You're brothers now. It should be covered by grace. But even if it isn't, I will pay it. That's what grace looks like. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, 
knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Paul knew he could command obedience, but he appealed for grace to be shown. And he was confident that through the grace of Christ that Philemon had received, it would spill over into his relationship with this renegade, this runaway slave. He was confident in it. Paul had seen Philemon. He knew him. He knew the kind of man he was writing to. This wasn't a stranger. He had a relationship with him. He knew the man. He knew the outcome. He had faith in Christ. And he had faith that Philemon, being the changed man he was, would forgive and accept as a brother the renegade. Paul closes by sending some greetings to a few other people. And then finally, the last verse says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. A wonderful conclusion and reminder that none of this happens, none of the things he's talked about happens without grace and the grace from God. Now, what are the implications of this? What do we see here? Interesting fact. I'm pretty sure that this is the only letter we have from Paul that doesn't explicitly talk about Christ and crucifixion. And I think that that's not by accident. I think that Paul knew he didn't have to explicitly talk about it because he was modeling it. He was living out the gospel in his life. And the implications of this gospel are very, very personal, they're amazingly intimate. And almost never private. Can you imagine what Philemon's neighbors would say? Wait a minute, isn't that the slave that ran away? Well, what are you doing? He's sitting at your table. You are serving him? This is ridiculous. This is dangerous. What will this say to the other slaves? Paul was asking nothing less than to completely go against every societal norm that Philemon knew. 
And the gospel drives that kind of rebellion against the world. In Colossians 3, verse 8 through 11, we see this new society. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, wait for it, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Remember, Paul opened up this letter by saying who everyone was, what their identity was in Christ. And he was removing all societal identities and saying they've all been replaced. Now you find your identity in Christ Jesus. There's something that's going on in our world today. Hopefully, many of you are insulated from it. It's called identitarian politics. And it's basically that the group you identify with, whether it be your race or your gender or your social class, that that is the primary, primary, the, the primary defining element of who you are. And that you should group with that group and identify with them above all others. This is in direct opposition to what the Bible teaches. When we accept Christ and we put our faith in the saving grace of God, we are no longer man or woman. We're no longer white or black. We're no longer slave or free, wealthy or poor. The, not the greatest identifier of us, the only identifier of us is that we are a believer. The message of Philemon is simple and radical. Our identities are in Christ. The ground is, is level at the foot of the cross. And the fact that we are all family requires us to do radical things for each other that our society will never understand. Philemon's neighbors would have thought he was crazy and reckless for treating a runaway slave so well. Paul loved and lived like Christ. Reconciling others by offering himself as payment for their debt. 
Paul bore the burdens of fellow believers, transforming a fugitive worthy of death into a welcome member of the family. Paul called on Philemon to love and live like Christ. Not to press his right, but to forgive and do whatever was necessary to remove the barriers that separated him from the fugitive. Paul called Onesimus to love and live like Christ. At great personal risk, he faced death on a cross to repair a relationship. Now I call on you to love and live by Christ. Bear the burdens of others. Don't press your rights, but forgive. Take the personal risks necessary to repair relationships among believers and to reconcile sinners with their God. Take the risks to change hearts, to change our very society. Show the love that was shown you on the cross.